everyone charged in this bill of indictment is presumed innocent. Specifically, the indictment brings felony charges against Donald John Trump. That is the sound of Fulton County, Georgia, District Attorney Fannie Willis earlier this week, announcing an indictment that has former US President Donald Trump facing yet more criminal charges for attempting to overturn the results of the 2020 election. Trump and 18 others were named in the indictment and have been given until Friday, August 25th to surrender themselves to the authorities. The catalyst for this indictment was the now infamous phone call Trump made to Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, on January the 2nd, 2021. I just want to find 11,780 votes because we won the state. These are not even the first charges facing Trump relating to Georgia. Special counsel Jack Smith issued a federal indictment earlier this month for alleged election subversion there. The list of legal cases being brought against the former president is growing longer and longer. The presumptive nominee should be out on the campaign trail. Trump is going to be, as things stand at the moment, he will be spending weeks and weeks and weeks in courtrooms. And what has Trump's reaction been to this indictment? Well, he maintains he has irrefutable proof that the election was rigged. But we will have to wait to find out exactly what that proof is. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Connor Pope. Today, will Donald Trump go to prison or will he go back to the White House? Martin Wall, for the fourth time in as many months... The former US President Donald Trump is facing a criminal indictment, this time in the state of Georgia. He's already been charged in Florida, in Washington, in New York. But maybe we could focus on the state of Georgia and what makes his indictment there different to all of the others? Okay, well, the the big difference is in this. The ground is fairly similar to the Washington case, which was on a federal level. This is on a state level in Georgia. But where the the Washington Post sums it up Wednesday morning in its uh, analysis, it says essentially where the, the Washington case on the looking at election, subverting the election, was basically applied with a scalpel. In Georgia, it's applied with a hammer. Mm. It's much broader. And the bigger issue is in Washington, the Washington federal case centered on Trump and Trump alone. In Georgia, he is one of 19 people. And included in those are some of his top aides, his former White House chief of staff, his principal aide in the White House, Mark Meadows, um, his lawyer, Ruli Giuliani, who people would have known from as New York mayor, the man who was dubbed America's mayor, mm. who was Time magazine man of the year after the 9-11 attacks in New York, um, who became a, a very strong uh, Trump acolyte. Uh, he is also being in, uh, charged, as has a whole group of lawyers mm. who gave legal advice to uh, to the president, who were involved allegedly in the campaign to uh, as to how they could subvert the democratic election in twenty twenty. So, okay, we might come to the co-conspirators in a second, but before we we get to that point, could you maybe take us back to Georgia in twenty twenty, and what happened? in the aftermath of the presidential election that makes the events of this week so significant? Uh, in Georgia, like in other parts of America, in other states, the, the Trump campaign alleged fraud. 
They claimed that he lost. The, they didn't really lose the state. They actually won the state. That's what they claim. But that his election, his victory was stolen from him by fraud. Basically, members of Team Trump, like Giuliani, went to Georgia. They went to politicians in Georgia and they alleged to politicians in Georgia that there was fraud. They alleged in the context of the, the alleged at the count in Georgia that they had video evidence which suggested that there were boxes of suitcases, as the phrase was, of ballots being wheeled in and that when the Republican monitors were ushered out of the room, suddenly these were presented and put on the table and counted and they were mixed in with the... There was an allegations about a election workers, a election worker called Ruby Freeman and her daughter, uh, Shema Moss, who were, the, uh, who were working on the count. Rudy Giuliani alleged that they were, were seen handing between each other um, basically computer drive sticks. It, it, and he said no, famously that they were handing them around like vials of cocaine. Mm. That was completely untrue. This lady and her daughter were subject then to the intimidation, harassment, they gave evidence at the congressional hearing last year in relation to how it had impacted upon their lives. So that was one element of it. Then the other part that happened also in Georgia as well was the another element was the fake electors. Now, to get into that, we have to talk about how the American electoral system actually works to make it quite clear. But basically, when people in America go to the ballot box to vote for a president, they don't technically vote for the individual concerned. Mm. They vote for a group of electors. Who go and represent them. Who then them. represent them. It, it, it's not exactly analogous, but there's similar things. About in Ireland, we don't elect a Taoiseach directly. We elect TDs who then elect the Taoiseach in the door. Yeah. So but basically, but what happened in America, in Georgia, were that this legal theory under this illegal theory put forward by some of Trump's lawyers, that Joe Biden's electors won the state. Mm. Therefore, they would go to the Electoral College and they would give the votes of George, I think off the top of my head, it's about 16 votes. They give those votes on behalf of Joe Biden. And that yeah. contributes towards meeting the 270 vote mark to elect a president. The, what happened in Georgia was a group of Trump supporters said they were the genuine electors. They met in... The, in the building, in the, in, the, in the state capitol building, and they presented themselves and they signed documents that they were the real electors. That happened elsewhere. It happened in other parts of America. And that was, um, so that was another element of it. And then there was a final curious element was in one particular state, a group of Trump supporters turned up and appeared to have access or were given access to the actual electronic voting machines, the, the voting machines, and they had access to it. So there was issues of how that happened, how that all came about. So in essence, what the Georgia case maintains is that it wasn't just an attempt. You know, people saw what happened on January 6th of 2021 when Trump's supporters stormed the Capitol. But that wasn't, that was just the, 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 the tip of the iceberg. That behind the scenes, there was an ongoing conspiracy that lasted several months after the election where Trump and his supporters used various means to try uh, subvert the Democratic vote of the people of the United States to elect Joe Biden, okay. to allow him to stay in power. And where the difference between, in, as I say, in, in the Washington federal case, Trump is in the frame personally. In Georgia, it's a much broader based uh, approach, covering this largely the same ground, bringing in a lot more people. And um, But it is a, a much wider okay. um, case. And talk to me then about the famous phone call that Trump made when he went in search of, was it 11,000 votes? 11,780 votes. Is that going to be a factor in this case? And could you give us a little bit of background into okay. that? The investigation by the district attorney in, in Atlanta, essentially, was prompted by this phone call. 
essentially, when all the other elements that we spoke about went on, eventually in the early days, literally the early first couple of days of January of 2021, um, Donald Trump phoned the man responsible, the Secretary of State, who runs elections in the particular state, that's that's the role, in Georgia, a man called Brad Vassenberger. And in the course of a virtually an hour-long conversation, he tried to encourage him to say that the votes in Georgia weren't really, that there was something odd had gone on in Georgia. And in the course of the famous couple, because this was, this was recorded and everybody heard it, mm. about the famous words, I just want to find 11,780 votes. Basically, what that was, was that would have given him one more vote than Joe Biden had. So therefore, the issue was he would have won the state. He would have won, uh, you know, in, in the United States, it's winner takes all. You, you get one more vote, you win the state, you win all, mm. the, all of the electoral college votes. So it was really important. The, that led to the, the start of the investigation by the prosecute by the, by the, the district attorney in in, um, in Fulton County, essentially Atlanta, and that then spread into a two and a half year inquiry that led to all of the other elements of a much broader conspiracy with all of the other elements that we discussed earlier on. So they were uh, the, the this case, this phone call, the Raffensperger Trump phone call was the, the actual conversation, the impetus for the entire okay. investigation. And now you've mentioned the district attorney for Fulton County, and that's Fanny Willis. Tell me a little bit about her. I mean, who is she? Unlike in Ireland, prosecutors are elected in parts of that. So she's an elected Democrat, which is a bugbear for those on the right, because it's the, and Trump, who maintains this is an actual political uh, uh, prosecution. She is a, uh, as I say, elected. She's a Democrat. She is a would appear to be a law and order. She's not a, you know, a, Trump depicts her as a radical liberal or a radical leftist or a Marxist. <laughs> she is actually a law and order um, prosecutor mm. and who specialises to a large degree in using this legislation that, that Trump has now been, been brought, has been charged under, basically racketeering legislation that was originally designed under Richard Nixon at federal level to go after the mafia. Mm. Um, the RICO laws. The RICO laws, absolutely. And basically, at state level, they, they argue that it's not just necessarily you can have as long as a group of people allegedly do a group, uh, uh, several different things that are illegal in, the, in pursuit of a common goal, it comes within the issue of uh, racketeering. That's the principle that she's... So um, her own background is that she, her father uh, was a, um, a black activist in the Black Panthers of the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Uh, she grew up, went to, um, went to university in Washington, uh, the same university, Howard University that Kamala Harris went to. And then uh, she alleges in her, you know, that she, she was brought to courts. Her father was a lawyer also, that she was brought to courts from a young age. She sat in courts, watched courts and wanted to be a lawyer and went back and has practiced in Georgia, is a, a well-known lawyer in Georgia okay. and then elected as a Democrat for, to be district attorney. Coming up, Martin Wall explains the next steps in this Georgia indictment. Okay, so we know what's happened up to this point in terms of the Georgia indictment and all the other indictments that have come Donald Trump's way. What happens in the days ahead in Georgia? What can we expect to see next? The district attorney, having gone through the grand jury process, has said that the various 19 people, including Donald Trump, should surrender themselves to authorities by midday on Friday of next week. Okay. Now, the 
authorities in uh, in Atlanta have maintained that they will treat all of these people in the very same way as all of any other um, mm. suspect or uh, someone who's subject to a grand jury indictment. And so that will mean that next week, at some point over the coming days, Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, Mark Meadows, and several other senior people who were attached to the Trump organization and Trump world will basically attend or turn up at Fulton um, County Prison Jail in Atlanta, where they will be what the phrase is booked. Now, listeners will hear from a million, we've all watched a million TV, American TV police series, where we've heard about a suspect being called Bookham. Yeah. What basically that means is the suspect or the person who's been charged is processed within the court and legal system. So basically, you go in, you, you're asked for your identity, your date of birth, social security number, you will have your fingerprints taken, and then the famous photograph, the mugshot. Mug now, that's the, they're the standard um, procedures. Now, as you said, Donald Trump has already been through this at federal level and in New York at state level uh, three times in the, in the last couple of months. He hasn't had a, he he has had his name taken, obviously his date of birth, his uh, social security number, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and his details, of his fingerprints. We have not had a mugshot. I suspect if there is a mugshot next week and the mugshots tend to be published in the US system, that mugshot of Donald Trump will be on the front page of every media organisation in the world, by mm. and large, I would imagine next week if that happens. And you've mentioned Donald Trump, you've mentioned Mark Meadows, you've mentioned Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell. That'd be some perp walk, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, no, we don't know whether there's going to be a perp walk and, whether be, and, and even if there was it's unlikely to be collective you're, you're not, you're not, unless it's orchestrated in advance. You're not going to get 19 people turning up at the same time. There probably will over a number of days. However, where this becomes an issue will be if we ever get to a trial because the, the, the district attorney said the other night in her press conference on Monday night that she wanted to try everyone together. Now, all 19 together. Now, the one piece we've all, we all know is that um, American lawyers tend to be quite loquacious. Mm. And the idea of 19 lawyers in a room, plus the prosecution, all at the same time, all wanting to speak, th there would be a lot of a cacophony of noise, I would have thought, in the, and putting all that together will be uh, an issue. The, the, the fact that there are so many of them will also, when you take what happens next, because after you go through the booking process, they will have to go to court for what's called an arraignment. Mm. In the arraignment, the charges are read formally to them. And the, the individual is asked to plead in relation to it. Now, this will take place under Georgia law, which is separate to federal law and separate. To, and my understanding is in Georgia, it is open to a defendant to waive the arraignment process. Now, let's wait and see where all that happens, whether, okay. they, whether they turn up. And then the issue would be there would be undoubtedly there are already moves underway at the moment, uh, certainly by Mark Meadows already talking about the try move this out of the Georgia state uh, ambush and move it into a federal it's the federal level that would so other people may try to do that as well. That will also have the issues there where it would be is that if it stays at state level in Georgia, in Atlanta, Atlanta is a Democrat city. Hmm. The jury pool will be drawn from Atlanta, which is a Democrat city. If it goes to federal level, it'll be within Georgia, the broader part of Georgia. And that makes the potential jury pool more okay. favorable okay. to. Um, and then the other issue will be is that as things stand now, again, we can discuss this in relation to it. If if prosecutions under state law in Georgia, there is no uh, in, no obvious opportunity for a president to interfere in that case. If it happens at federal level, the issue of pardons come into play. 
Okay. So there are issues there as to how the, the fact of moving it from a state court to a federal court, there are important implications in that happening that do not only apply to the jury pool. True, but I mean, I suppose we're leaping ahead of ourselves there because A, Donald Trump would have to be convicted, then he would have to be elected president, and then the issue of pardons for himself and his co-conspirators would come into play. Or some other Republican. Or indeed some other Republican. This is That's a very fair point. Although Trump is by far the leading Republican at present. Before we get to the fact that he's still the leading president, uh, leading candidate for the Republican Party, you might talk to me about his comments on his own social media network, Truth Social, in recent days, in which he's promised proof that the Georgia election was rigged and he's going to deliver this 100-page dossier next Monday. Have we any sense as to what could possibly be contained within that do- dossier? Um, as of now, there is no indica- no public indication as to what it contains, other than Trump has alleged what it concludes in the sense... That Trump is innocent. ...that, that th- there was fraud and his arguments are... Now, interestingly, uh, Trump came out and made that comment yesterday that he's that at 11 o'clock in Eastern, Eastern Time in the United States, 6 o'clock here next Monday evening, he's holding a press conference in his golf club in New Jersey. He's going to reveal all this... And he is demanding that charges will be immediately dropped against him and all his, his allies uh, on foot of the, what the information is going to come to out. The the governor of Georgia literally shortly thereafter um, stated there was no fraud. And he's a Republican. And he is a Republican. No friend of Trump. Trump went after him mm. and lost. Tr- Trump went after him and tried to have him unseated in the, in the election last year. He didn't succeed. The man uh, uh, basically won, uh, won uh, and won, won very well. So let us see. As I say, the conclusion is already drawn that this is going to prove that there was fraud. What people will be looking for is evidence because bear in mind, there has been audits, independent audits by the Republicans in Georgia, by politicians in Georgia. They've gone to courts in Georgia. No one, conclusive evidence has not emerged. So we'll just have to wait and see at the moment what evidence arises from this. Okay. In, uh, on Monday. Now, looking at the broader picture, maybe widening the lens a little bit, as we've mentioned, this is the fourth indictment in as many months. Uh, he's facing multiple charges, like very, very, very serious charges. He has ni- 91 separate charges. 91 separate charges. What, if any, impact has all of this controversy that's swirling around Donald Trump had on his popularity within the Republican Party? And I suppose the extension of that question is, what impact has it had on his chances of becoming the next president of the United States? Okay, well, the the impact of of all the charges has been, it has boosted his popularity within Republican circles. The election of a US president is a two-stage process. You have to get the nomination, the official nomination of your party, Democrat or Republican, in what are known as primary elections uh, beforehand. And then... It goes to the general election, which will be held in, in November of 2024. The, so we're about, we're about maybe 10 months away from the uh, primary election determining who it will be the nominee for the Republican Party. As of now, Donald Trump is far and away. Depending on which poll you look at, he's between 30 and 40 points ahead of, his near, of, the, of the other people in the field. However, what I find is interesting is, is that there are candidates bouncing around at 1%, 2%, who are, as you would think at the moment, would be no-hopers. Why are they staying in the race? 
Why are they burning through money, whatever? Because presumably they suspect, they have an inkling, they think, maybe they hope that something will happen to Trump somewhere over the next um, the next uh, six months or nine months where if Trump is off the pitch, if Trump, if something happens to Donald Trump legally, politically, and he's not a candidate, the field is wide open. Mm. The race is wide open. So the fact that there are so many other candidates on as of now, you would have thought, as I say, completely without any form of chance of winning. So obviously they're there for a particular, they believe that something or fear or suspect or hope that something may happen over the coming months. So they're still there and bear that in mind. Um, we also have to have the debates. The, the you know, debates are a big big thing about American politics. And there are some candidates, people like the former New Jersey governor, Chris Christie, who has basically set himself up that he is going to former Trump friend, um, now uh, an opponent, who has set himself up as man, he's going to talk truth to Donald Trump. Mm. But the issue would be Trump may not turn up at the debates. The first debate... He might be in prison. Well, he's likely to be. <laughs> Maybe he might be. Um, if if he doesn't turn up in Georgia, uh, in, in the jail in Georgia for a booking, he may be arrested. But um, no, the the issue will be is that um, Trump maintains that he's so far ahead. He's 30, 40 mm. points ahead. Why would I bother, you know, being in the same room as all these other people yeah. who just want to criticize me? So it'll be interesting what Trump will turn up or not. Um, he may or may not, depending on how things go. But again, as I say, we've... The the other big issue about where this will go with Trump and how things may change will be in a normal in a normal election, a somebody who Trump at this point you have to say is the presumptive nominee. He's four, 30, 40 points ahead. If there was nothing else in the race, he would be the presumptive nominee by a mile at this point. The presumptive nominee should be out on the campaign trail. Should be meeting voters in key states because bear in mind in the American system the election will be determined by. A small number of swing states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Arizona, Georgia, places like that. And they should be out meeting do- meeting voters, meeting donors. Trump is going to be, as things stand at the moment, he will be spending weeks and weeks and weeks in courtrooms. Um, the Washington court case, the judge, uh, the, 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 the special counsel, wants the case to start on the 2nd of January. The, the case in New York, the case in relation to the, relating to the, uh, the hush money payments to the porn star, is due, to, Daniels, is yeah. due to is scheduled to start uh, the 25th of, of March. And then the case of, in relation to the classified documents in Florida, is due to take place in May. All of those documents, and then somewhere along the way, Georgia will be somewhere in the mix. Although when that may happen, we can discuss that in the, in the moment. There's, there's issues there in relation to the logistics of that. But e- even without Georgia, you're now looking at several weeks and weeks and weeks in the first half of, of 2024, when ideally a candidate should be out in the field, mm. out on the on the hustings, not okay. in courtrooms, trying to keep out of jail. Now, can you explain something to me, Martin? Because you've been in Washington for quite some time now. How is it that Donald Trump has managed to retain the support of such a huge number of Republican voters when he is clearly facing such legal difficulties? And an awful lot of these people would be conservative in nature and they wouldn't like all of this messing necessarily. So how has he performed this Jedi mind trick that makes those people still believe in him? OK, well, you think you have to you have to look in the context of his base is a coalition. There are white working class voters who in the past would have voted Democrat. They would have been, you know, and the whole issue of you know, jobs moving to China and whatever else, you know, globalization as an economic concept 
may be great and may lift boats on an, on an overall basis. But if you personally lose your job, you probably aren't too big of a fan of it. So you have, you know, the whole the whole Rust Belt in America, the whole industrial uh, uh, departures, uh, you know, companies leaving to for cheaper uh, locations in China or in Central America or wherever it may be. That base was there. There's the evangelical base who have worked, you know, if, if you think about it, Donald Trump is not an obvious evangelical icon. No. His lifestyle would not suggest that. And also, because of the television culture in America, he is a celebrity. He was known long before, you know, he's not a normal politician. He portrays himself not being a normal politician. He was, had, was a, you know, well-known uh, TV celebrity in America before he was ever in politics. So therefore, there are people who have always supported Donald Trump. But that base is probably only about 25, 30% of the, of the Republican electorate. But the issue will be is that on a winner-takes-all basis, if you've got 10 candidates, the balance mm. of, the, of the electorate is divided between a, a large number of candidates. Therefore, on 20, 25%, 30%, you can win and win, win handily. That's what happened to Trump in 2016. That could happen again this year. And can you talk to me then about the, the 2024 presidential election and where that might end up? Because obviously you have Trump as the presumptive Republican Nominee, you have Joe Biden saying that he's going to be running for president. I think there's a couple of challengers there. In your mind, could Donald Trump win the presidency in November 2024? In certain circumstances, yes. What Absolutely. are those circumstances? Okay, the the issue will be is that the American electorate, polls will suggest, are not altogether wild about the idea of a rematch between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. That's what polls indicate. Irrespective of that, that's exactly what the American electorate may be given. Because that's what the polls suggest Trump will run away with the nominee, nomination. The one piece I would be very issue will be, and what might throw a fly in the ointment completely into it, is this organization called No Labels. Uh, no Labels are basically a, a group of political activists who maintain the public don't want these two guys. Therefore, we have to give them a choice. So they are a number of people. They're have held rallies. They're, they've started holding rallies. They're on the ballot in 10 states at this point. They don't have a candidate. And but the potential candidate is a man called Joe Manchin, who is a conservative Democrat uh, from uh, West Virginia. He's the man who basically stymied uh, Biden's big uh, Build Back Better original plan. Manchin could very well be, and is certainly not ruled out that he could run, if there is a, if there is a well-funded third candidate. Now, the third candidates, we've seen them before, they've been green candidates. You know, go back to the... Ralph Nader. Well, further back than that, you can go back to Ross Perot in terms yeah, of probably Bill Clinton. The yeah. got, you know, so a third candidate, and particularly somebody who's well funded and who's got name recognition, could actually be because of the the base and go back and the loyalty of the Trump base. The likelihood is that a third candidate will generate more votes from the from people who would otherwise lean Democrat. And in a winner takes all scenario, uh, it's unlikely that Manchin would win. But Manchin, if it is Manchin or somebody else, could take enough support away from that would have otherwise gone to Biden that Trump could win. So in that scenario, that, was a, that is something that could actually happen. There, we're jumping down the road, but the possibility is there. OK, let's jump a little bit further. What impact would a Trump victory in 24 have on the United States? And probably more importantly, what impact would it have on American democracy? If that's not too big a question. Well, 
the the issue I think really would be is that Trump, and again, this is by his own his own words, by by, is that a Trump presidency 2.0 would be essentially a vengeance tour. That would be Trump using the power of the presidency to go after people who had thwarted him or antagonized him or done him down. Or So we would see, I think firstly you would see, um, you know, the issue will be if he if he is still under investigation, if a trial hasn't happened at federal level, I would imagine a Trump attorney general would immediately order that trial to stop or the investigation to be dropped. That's the first part of it. If Trump had been convicted and wasn't in jail, would he then try to pardon himself? Again, it's unprecedented. The issue will be, could he actually, if he was in jail, could he still be elected? You know, 100 years ago, there was a man called Eugene Debs who was a socialist um, in the Bernie Sanders type move, campaigned for the presidency from a jail cell. He was jailed for sedition for opposing uh, American involvement in the First World War. And from a jail cell, he ran for the presidency. Now, obviously, he didn't win, but mm. he ran. So there's nothing in the U.S. The U.S. Constitution has a number of stipulations about who can be president. There's age limits. You have to be what's called a natural-born citizen. But there's nothing that says that you can't be in jail or you can't be a felon or you can't have a, a criminal record. So the, there's, there's huge issues in relation to um, what, what, you know, what could happen. The other part will be is that there's, there's arguments. A president has a Secret Service detail 24 hours a day around them. If Trump is in jail as president, would the Secret Service be in jail with him? Or would it be feasible to have a president in prison? Would, you, would it be more likely that you could have a house uh, arrest? Or what would the Supreme Court, where would the Supreme Court go into this? Would, this, would there be arguments that the, the Constitution maintains that an, a person is elected to run the United States government? And that particularly if it was a state uh, conviction in Georgia, say, for example, or in New York, would that be would the issue of the constitutional obligation to have a president override the a criminal conviction in a particular state? All of these things are completely unprecedented, yeah. and we don't know. As there, but there, and Trump being Trump will push the legal envelope to the um, to the limit. You know, in terms of of of, of all these things. Martin Wall, as ever, thank you very much for talking to us. And while you have a lot of questions there that remain unanswered, it does appear that the Trump circus has some time left to run. Thanks very much. That's it for today. To read more of Martin Wall's coverage of this unfolding story, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Connor Pope. This episode was produced by John Casey. In the news, we'll be back soon.